0: As uh, Pastor Freddie, it was so good to see him, I get to spend a little time with Pastor Freddie down in Argentina with many of, uh, some of you folks here, and that was wonderful. As Pastor Freddie said, God said that his house will be a house of prayer. Would you pray with me? So Father, we just give this time to you, Lord. We are living sacrifices, Lord. We offer ourselves up to you, but Lord, the problem with the living sacrifice is that we can take ourselves off the altar. We can be here at church with our bodies, but not present with our spirit and soul, with our mind and our heart, Lord. So I pray that each of us, including myself, that we would be present here because, Lord, you are present here with us. I ask, Lord, that your words would be mine And that your words would be heard and any of mine just would fade away, Lord, because only your word remains forever. Only your word has the power to change our hearts and our lives. God, we don't want to go anywhere where you are not. And we know that you are here today, Lord. So here we are. Would you please, if we can humbly ask, would you please bless us with an outpouring of your spirit? For the spirit of the Lord is upon us, as Isaiah says. In Jesus' great name, we pray with great expectation. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Eric already blew up my gig as far as what I'm sharing today. But everybody loves a good story, right? Some of the best stories that you can ever hear are stories that are true. They're about real people. They're about real things that are going on. I don't like to complain about the way the world is today in any way, shape, or form. However, I will say this, it seems like the art of storytelling has been lost in our society. You know, between Facebook and, I don't know, TikTok or what have you, or snapping, The art of storytelling, or sitting around a campfire, or sitting in Boston Common, or or just sitting at dinner and talking about the days that were long ago, or the days that just were last week, have been lost. My kids love when I'm talking with somebody, especially if we have old friends come over. My wife and I have old friends come over. We start talking about, oh yeah, I remember back then, 15 years ago, you know, this is before most of them were born, like, they're sitting there. I see them. They drop the device and they start leaning in. They love to hear these stories about what things were like back when we were younger. Well, Pastor Steve asked me to come up here today, and he kind of surprised me with what he asked me to share. You already know what it is. He asked me to share my testimony. So, today, that's what I'm going to be sharing. Steve and I have known each other for over a dozen years or more. I've gone on a number of missions, trips, as Eric already said. Um, But I want us to remember something. When we talk about, we often say, like, my testimony, right? My story. Make zero mistake about it. What I'm going to share, what we all have, is not our story, but it's God's story. Amen? Right? It's God's story, it's not ours. Testimony in Latin is testis, which means to witness. Now, this is a witness of the proof of how incredibly good our God is, how incredibly loving he is towards us personally and also corporately as a church. A testimony is about the miraculous meeting the hopeless in this, that Christ Jesus alone, his love conquers all all sin of the world and all of our per- personal sin. This is the witness. This is the story. This is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen, gang? Amen. The gospel is incredibly good news, and this is all of our stories if we are in Christ Jesus. I love 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 says, and it kind of sums it up, and the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. See, if you're ever wondering what a testimony is about, it can't be made any more simple. God has given us eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you're a believer here today, you have this story. And you have to remember again, this is God's story of amazing grace. And we're supposed to be telling such a story as we have to the world around us. What is your world? It's your small community, those around you, those you interact with daily and often. In fact, we're all called to be storytellers. We're not all gifted to speak. I'm not super gifted to speak. You'll see, I fumble over my words. I forget the most common words. It takes me seconds to recall them. But nonetheless, we are all called to be a sort of storyteller. But the question I want to ask is, is your life, are our lives, are the stories we are sharing with the world the real truth? Because (laughs) on Facebook and social media, we can share an awful lot of things, but quite often it's not the whole truth. Sometimes it's a flat out lie. Sometimes it's just partial truth. But the greatest witness and the greatest story, what we're supposed to be sharing is, is, is told in this. It's how we live our lives out, not what we display in words and clicks on Facebook. And it's also about building relationships. Are we loving God and others in our day-to-day lives? Or are we living for ourselves? Because how we love God and love others, that is also our story on display. An author once said this, he said, we have been created by God and for God. And until we understand this, our lives will never make sense. <laughs> Let me share with you the testimony of Jesus through my own life. Now, if you men, you know, that have been around a while, some of you have heard this before, you can check out if you want to, but I encourage you, there will be God's word in here. So I encourage you to check in, stay tuned. Stay tuned. So I'm going to share with you some of these details, and your details, the details of your life may be a little bit different, but I hope that you can relate your story to this story because it is a God story, right? Maybe you're like me, and just like this quote said, your life didn't seem to make sense. It didn't satisfy you. It didn't complete you until you found Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your King. Maybe you're here today and you're listening, and you're in church for the first time. Maybe you were invited here by a friend. I wanna say welcome. Please feel welcome here. I know you guys at Calvary in the City, I know you welcome people that, that don't yet know the Lord with open arms. Maybe a friend invited you and you're sitting in a boat of wonder. You've been wandering. You've been hopeless. Even in, a, 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 in the midst of affluence, I want to invite you to listen to God's amazing story of undeserved love, which is what we call what, gang? Undeserved love is grace. Is Grace Cole here today? No. Okay. I'm going to use the framework of Ephesians chapter 2, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I think I have maybe 3,000 favorite chapters, but it is an all-time favorite. If you would, open up your Bibles. I don't know if you you guys hand out Bibles to anyone that doesn't have them, but I imagine most people have them. I see ushers scrambling. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love for you to follow along. There's one over here. We'll mostly be camping out in Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 1. It says... And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. This was me. And this was any of you before you came to know Christ, walking in sin and selfishness, living for just personal pleasure, deserving nothing but God's righteous wrath because of our own personal rebellion. I grew up in a normal, typical American home. My mother was a druggie, my father was a druggie, and he left us. My best friends in life were Greg, Peter, and Bobby Brady. If you don't know who they are, they were, tele- they were from a television show. I didn't have a lot of friends, I watched a lot of TV because my mom was a single mom who was an addict and was never home, and we moved an awful lot. It wasn't easy to make friends, so I found that solitude somehow became a friend. Sounds odd, doesn't it? I remember as life moved on, my mom kinda, she tried to raise me as, as, as Catholic, and I remember going to CCD classes and learning a little bit about God through, through that, these classes, but in the midst of this, I, I somehow got affected by, I don't know if, it, if translation works out for this in, in Creole or not, but there, was, there were these things from the occult called Ouija boards. You guys remember Ouija boards? Like, totally demonic, right? These things were designed to, to invite and invoke evil spirits to tell you things. And it was sold in a box as if it was a kid's game. I'm in mean, fifth grade this is this is what I, I started to get into. I started becoming fascinated with the mystical things of life, fifth, sixth grade, the paranormal and the extremely weird, to be quite honest. That's what I got into. I didn't didn't realize at the time that this was the beginning of a decade-long road that I would go down, down a very weird path of the paranormal. In the midst of this, I had a few friends, young friends in middle school die, and, and whatever happened, you know, I don't really know, but I thought that I could see these dead friends. Whether it was true or not, it didn't even matter. What ultimately was going on was I was inviting spirits of darkness into my life. I was opening myself to the, to the powers of evil in the world. Now, at 14... You know, the word pharmakia, sorcery, right? Sorcery in the Bible, this is like in, engaging in things of the mystical side in, in witchcraft, but pharmakia also relates to drugs. So it's no curiosity that my life went from the mystical to the drug side. At 14 or 15, I, I started drinking heavily and doing a lot of drugs. But you see, my mother, she was way ahead of me. She excelled in drinking and doing drugs, so much so that the state was going to remove me from my home, which was probably a good thing. But I wasn't really having any of that, so I went out on the streets at 15 or 16, and it was better to break into summer homes on Cape Cod than it was to uh, stay at home with my my mother and the way that things were going. I remember this sense of feeling alone. Has anyone ever felt felt alone, or am I the only one? Am I all alone in feeling alone? I felt so alone, and, and 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 yes, truly, I was at that point. But there were many times in my life when I felt alone in a crowd of people. But then I felt alone, unwelcomed, unloved, and darkness became so familiar to me that it was almost a weird, sick comfort. I got in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble on Cape Cod, so I decided I would leave and just head out and tour with the Grateful Dead. Anyone know the Grateful Dead band back in the 60s, 70s? Yeah, I was a hippie born out of time. And for the first time, I kind of felt like I had family with these people, you know, like they, they kind of got me a little bit. I had the long hair down to here, you know, and I found this new sense of freedom while I was traveling. But that season came to an end, and I seemed to have caught up to myself. Which inevitably, no matter where I traveled, hitchhiking all around, I always caught up to myself, you see. There was kind of this little stolen car incident that happened when I was 16 and it landed me in a rehab to get out of trouble. And in this rehab, I found a a book. It was just a a fairy tale type of book or some kind of, you know, just a a fantasy book. But it it was all about the occult and mysticism. And again, you can just see how the enemy was trying to continually pull me to this dark side of life. It captivated me. To escape reality, I jumped into this book and I jumped into the mystic. And all it takes with this kind of stuff, I mean, I'm not going to go into this too much, I'm going to keep going, but all it takes with these things when it comes to the occult, when it comes to the demonic and darkness, is the tiniest crack in a door that you leave open and the enemy, Satan, just wants to creep his way in and wedge his way in there. I got involved with a lot of psychedelic drugs and I became even more weird than I already was. Well, I ended up getting kicked out of this... uh, Rehab and hitchhiking to Western Mass to Northampton where a community of witches and Wiccans invited me into their, their, their cult, basically. I wandered around homeless in Northampton for a while searching for something I couldn't find. And I thought maybe I didn't find it in the drugs. I didn't find it in the Grateful Dead. Maybe I'll find it in this witchcraft thing. This is new. This is exciting. There seems to be some kind of power here, power over people, power over things. But you see, even these Wiccans who once welcomed me, they suddenly rejected me because I broke their code of conduct. It seems that that I learned very quickly that if you womanize witches, it doesn't go well. I left Northampton and never looked back. And then I had heard about, uh, are there any Native Americans here? All right. One. Awesome. I ended up out in South Dakota, or hearing about a South Dakota, um, the Lakota Sioux Indians had this Sundance ceremony. And I thought, maybe this Sundance ceremony, it's a ceremony where, where, where it's the highest ceremony they do. Maybe this is my chance to find what I thought God might be. And it was out in Ohio, so I just stuck my thumb out. I didn't know where it was exactly. I knew it was in Ohio somewhere. So I hitchhiked there, and as I'd say luck would have it, but as Satan would have it, when I got close to Ohio, somebody picked me up that was going to the Sundance Ceremony, of course. And I landed there, and they reluctantly agreed to let me stay when they realized I wasn't one of them. And as these Sundance Ceremonies were going on, has anyone ever heard of uh, what a Sundance Ceremony or or seen the movie A Man Called Horse in the 70s, maybe? I know I'm dating myself, going way back here, but... It's a, it's a ceremony where, and get this, you got to catch, I'm going to get weird, but you got to catch the gospel in this. It's a ceremony where they take a tree, and in the center of the tree they take a man, and the man will lie down under the tree. They'll take the man, and they will cut him, pierce him, tie him to the tree so that he can bleed. And the purpose of the ceremony is that person bleeding will help the nations heal See, I didn't know that that had already been done, but it had been done by the man Jesus Christ. While I was supporting some people in this ceremony, I wasn't part of it, I found out my cousin had been in a a horrible polo accident. He might not live, I didn't know what to do. So I approached the medicine man, I said, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to pray, I don't know how to seek out whoever this God might be, but my cousin is dying, will you let me dance in this ceremony? So I said, you can, but you have to go to New Mexico. So I got found my way down to New Mexico, and I did this Sundance thing where they pierced me, they cut me and hung me from a tree, and I suffered. No, my cousin didn't die, but he was never the same again. But I felt like I had found something like something powerful, you know, because I wasn't really seeking the truth. What I was seeking was personal power. I wanted to have some kind of prominence and prestige, and now I did. I dedicated myself to do this for four years. Years every summer I would go out to South Dakota to Pine Ridge Indian Reservation out there and I would do this ceremony with the Lakota Sioux Indians you know I thought I had found what I was looking for that emptiness that I had inside of me I thought maybe this is it but after the fourth year it just felt kind of empty you know and I hung out all the white people were gone and I was hanging out with the medicine men you know these are the holy men that are doing all these they're the shamans right and what are they doing they're drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, and talking nasty about women. These were the holy men. Imagine if your pastors were doing that after you guys were all gone and one or two of you stayed by. Would you stick around? I would hope not. I would certainly hope not. I sure hope that you would at least call an elders meeting, right? So I hightailed it out of there too. I was all done with that. Ecclesiastes 1.13 says, And I applied my heart to seek to search out wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is all vanity and striving after wind. What is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I didn't know this verse, but I felt this verse. That everything that I thought I knew for the last four years was crumbling under me. I could not find what had been lost and what had been broken. I found myself in Paris, getting a one-way ticket, hitchhiking, hitchhiking through Europe. Through, uh, you know, it was getting cold. I was too cheap to buy hotels, so I would sleep outside all the time, and it was getting colder. So I hitchhiked south to to Switzerland, down to Italy, to Greece. I ended up in Turkey for a while, working for $4 a day, and it was enough money. And then I met some other world travelers as it was still getting colder. You know, the cold was still following me. And I kept catching up with myself, no matter how fast I ran away from me. And I found these guys that were traveling to some place called, anyone ever hear of a place called Israel? Yeah? All right. So here I am, long-haired, unsaved hippie. Nothing wrong with the long-haired hippie part, but the unsaved part, right? I end up in Israel of all places, and I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't care who he was. Oh, I learned about him in CCD in the Catholic Church and all, but I didn't have any relationship with him. I remember being in the southern part of Israel, way down the south in a lot It's all desert. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go to Jerusalem. So I hitchhiked towards Jerusalem at night, get picked up by a guy. I said, Jerusalem. He nodded his head. I fell asleep and I woke up. I said, Jerusalem nods his head. I get out of the car. I found an old abandoned church and some rubble underneath. There's just, you know, stone foundation. I slept under there for the night. And I walk out and I'm walking up the hills and I'm looking around and I'm seeing green. Green hills. Cliffs. And this beautiful sea. I found out that I totally missed Jerusalem and ended up way north in the city of Tiberias. You know, the Sea of Galilee. Hitchhiking a little further, I end up in the town of Nazareth. Anyone ever hear that? So I'm in Nazareth, and, like, and, and, and I, I, I got to share this with you, and I hope you don't mind, but I didn't care about Jesus. I thought he was born there, but I found there was some hill that Jesus had, had said to have, have been, or maybe he had lived there at one point. I did things on that hill to desecrate Jesus' name on purpose. Absolutely unforgivable, yet God still would forgive this guy in 20 years or whatever it was from then. It's unbelievable that there is no sin we could ever do. I was in Jerusalem, I was in Israel, I was in Nazareth, desecrating his name, and he would still forgive me? Whatever you're thinking, whatever you have done, whether it was yesterday, last week, or 10 years ago, there is nothing that you have ever done that Jesus did not already die for and deal with on the cross. You can let go of that guilt and shame. Can you imagine the shame I must have felt for a long time after I realized who Jesus was? But the instant I realized who he was, he forgave me. He is such a good God, isn't he? Israel eventually got cold. I ended up in a place called Egypt near Sinai. Is there somewhere like Mount Sinai or something? I mean, it's just, it's just, it was insane to me, like years later getting saved, seeing like all the, the places I went, how God was chasing after me. I was running from Him, running from me, but God was still pursuing me the way He pursued you, the way He's pursuing you. If you don't know Him yet, God is pursuing you. There is no mistake about why you're here today, right? I remember being, it's just a funny story, but it kind of has a purpose, right? It really does have a purpose. But I was in this little tiny town of Tarabian outside of town, Nueva. Nueva is a real small town, has about 18,000 people now, probably about 12,000 then. And to get into Nueva to buy food, you had to walk through about a mile of desert. And I was with a bunch of my traveling friends that I met along the way, and I see off in the distance these lumps. And I looked closer, those lumps weren't lumps. Those lumps were camels. They were lying down. They had no owner around them, no tags, no anything on them, perhaps wild. I don't know, but there they were. And being the, you know, the cool hippie guy that I was, I told my friends, I'm going to go ride one of those camels. So like, and they knew I'm such low-hanging fruit. I'm so gullible. Like, you won't. That's all it took. I'm like, oh, yes, I will. So you know, I'm creeping over. And let me tell you, the small camel in the distance gets a lot bigger the closer you get. But the closer I got, I found one who was on the outside of the circle. You know, he's facing the other direction. And the closer I got, his hump was lying down. His hump was like this big. So I got within five feet of him. And I get behind him and I jump. I'm like, I'm going to launch and I'm going to sit right on top of that hump. And I launch and I hit the top of the hump. I slid back, almost fell off. But it was a good thing. I did not land on the top of his hump. I was on the backside because he got up. And he was as big as a dragon. His face was like this. It was huge. He turned around. And what do you think he tried to do? Give me a kiss? He tried to bite me. But fortunately, I was just far enough back where he couldn't bite me. So now what he decides to do is to take off running. So here I am, wild hippie guy, hair everywhere. And I'm like, this is great. This is freedom. I'm having a blast. And then I look up and I realize where he's taking me. He's taking me into the den of all herd, whatever it is, the herd of all the camels. And I thought to myself, they're going to kill me. They're going to stomp me. He's taking me into the pack of hell, which is what is about to happen. He's going to kill me. So I did what any wise young man would do on a camel going 25 miles an hour in the desert. (laughs) I launched off the camel, and a cloud of dust rolled up in a ball, and I turned around, and I ran like a schoolgirl away from there. Now, I just want to let you know, the end of the story, I did not die. I survived. (laughs) But 2 Peter talks about a false freedom, right? See, here I thought I had this freedom with the camel. I'm in the Sinai Peninsula. This is amazing. 2 Peter 2.19 says, they promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. There I was, running free, running to death by stomping camel. After a year and a half of wandering the Middle East, I ended up back in the US. I found myself in a lot of various places, Arkansas, Mexico for a while, continuing to live my sinful life, but I stopped looking for this hope in spirituality, this hope in, in religion, this hope in, in, in something other than me. I was done searching for supreme spirituality, and I, endelved, and I engrossed myself in sin and pleasure, adventure fueled by alcohol, drugs, and adventure and traveling. In 1997, I decided I'm going to work on some lobster boats. I'm going to take my motorcycle and go down to Chile because i got some friends down there that I'm going to go down to. But you see, God had other plans. There was a change of plans in the work. I started going to the gym also, and I, I had another new identity. I had many identities. It was now tough gym bouncer guy. And as I was at the gym, I met a guy that I liked a lot, even though he said really weird things like, praise the Lord, praise God, God bless you. And Lance invited me to a Bible study. I'm like, yeah, what do I got to lose? Bible study. All right. And I went to a couple of his Bible studies. And and he he shared with me the book of Revelation. And he, he literally scared the hell out of me. But I didn't go back. He told me about Revelation. I got it. I understood it. But I left. I never came back. But I just couldn't shake the words that he shared with me about who Jesus was and that maybe he loved me. I just wasn't sure. I went home and I ditched all my Native American paraphernalia. I buried it in a swamp somewhere. See, I cleaned up my house, but I didn't fill this house with Jesus Christ. And just like the parable in Matthew 12, when you clean a house but you don't fill it with Christ, seven more demons, seven more spirits come in and overtake you, and they did. I had a horrible summer. A few years later, of partying, drinking, just wild, horrible living. I thought I was living it up. I was everybody's, I was God's gift to women, God's gift to everybody. I thought it was the best summer of my life. Looking back, it was one of the darkest, loneliest times of my life. Tell me this, have you ever made a series of wrong decisions? I mean a lot of bad decisions. And then you finally wake up and say, oh, I'm going to fix all those bad decisions by making one good decision. Anyone ever tried to do that? I have. In fact, I did this summer. And I'm gonna get real raw, if you guys don't mind, with some of my story. I don't see too many or any kids in here, but I'm gonna get pretty honest with, it with you all, if you don't mind. See, I ended up getting a girl pregnant that I didn't know, I didn't like, I was told to stay away from. So I decided that I'd take all those wrong decisions and make it right because, you know, I still had some honor inside of me and I, I, I married her. Let me, let me just give you a word of, of advice. Men, women, just because there's a baby involved or on the way is not a reason to bond yourself to somebody for the rest of this life. It's got to be because of God that you bond yourself, that you marry. There's a whole bunch of things I could say about that, but I'm going to leave that out. Hopefully, you understand what I'm saying. I cleaned my act up for a little bit, though. I stopped the drinking and the drugs for a while. I started a masonry company. I'm still a stone mason. I work with stones. I've had a business for 22 years or so. You can start doing the math. I had a lot of the things that people might want. I had a, a, the white picket fence, I owned a house, I owned a fast boat, I had some nice cars, I had a motorcycle, I had, I had the 2.2 kids, right? Well, I had one kid and I had another one coming on the way. I figured this is just life. I would deal with being married to someone I hardly knew besides I have a daughter now and this daughter is going to complete me. She's going to make everything okay. That didn't last long. Sometimes in life, you can look at your life and you can see where, you can see if you looked at the timeline of your life, there was a pivotal moment, right? When things just changed or altered very quickly. I came to one of these pivotal moments in 2005. I had an epiphany, A thought dawned on me and there was a realization that I no longer cared about people. Oh, I I mean, you're hearing my story, you're not hearing a lot of what what I did, but I was kind of a bad person, right? I hurt people, I took advantage of women, But at the same time, I still cared about people somewhere inside me. But I realized in 2005, I no longer care about people the same way. I don't have compassion for their pain the way that I used to. And and even in my lost self, I realized something is desperately wrong with me. I need an answer. There's something that has to change. And I remember hearing a very clear voice. It wasn't audible. I just tell you, I've never heard God speak audibly. But I had this sense inside my heart. It was just a, a, a thought, and it said get a Bible. Huh, I thought, get a Bible. Okay, get a Bible. It's a book with old writing in it. I don't need a Bible. I've got bigger problems than the Bible can solve. I need something more than religion because all religion ever did for my family I sexually abused my mother, my aunts, and my uncle. That was my experience with religion, gang. I didn't need a Bible. Besides a Bible, I remember a Bible. I stole my mother's Bible because it had a zipper, and I kept my LSD and my drug money in there because who in the world is going to go into a Bible and steal it? I didn't need a Bible. So instead of getting a Bible, I got into Oxycontin's. You know, it's basically legal heroin. I think you guys have enough of that up here, as we do on Cape Cod, to know about it. It's been a real epidemic. I thought I'd found peace, but my peace turned into a $500 a day habit. In three months, I became a monster. I became somebody that I hated growing up. I did drugs with my now two babies nearby me, thinking I was hiding it. I was running drugs internationally on a small scale, small level, just to support my habit. All the while, the woman I married was cheating on me with the small-time drug dealer that I brought into our family to sell the drugs for me. And I'm going to get transparent and real. Is that okay? I mean, this is harder for me than it is for you, but... I told you I became a monster. From the age of five, I remember physically fighting my mother's drunk addict boyfriends because they were putting their hands on her. I hated men that put their hands on women. In 2005, I was messed up on drugs and found out that the woman that had birthed my babies was cheating on me again. And I put my hands on her. Guys, I hurt her. I became the monster I always hated as a kid. I remember feeling like I was not in control, like I was somewhere outside of my body, that this wasn't me doing the things that were going on. I caused pain. I smashed the house to pieces. I took broken glass jars, smashing my arms with them over and over. I don't know what took over me, but I can guarantee that there's a possibility that it wasn't me. That the years of opening myself up to darkness led to this moment here. That was the last time I ever did drugs or drank, but things would get worse still. I was pulled out of that house by the police that night, just so you know. Now I had a restraining order on me. I couldn't see my family or my kids. Wild, drunken, raging parties were going on at my house where my two babies were. I couldn't do anything about it. Days later, I was driving my truck down the highway trying to figure out what I can possibly do to keep my family safe, even though I had been the problem. And my truck going 85 hit some ice and started to death wobble and slide. And I knew I was going for the curb. I knew I was going to be going into the woods. And I remember diving down into the seat and I remember just saying out loud, God save me. Never uttered those words before, but you know what? He did. I slid down the highway on my side, 250 plus feet, not a single injury. I still thought the world and my kids would be better off without me though. And I had plans to kill myself so that they could get the insurance money because I was one of the biggest scumbags on the entire earth to myself at that point. But you see, God, but God. Don't you love that? But God. Ephesians 2 says, 2, 4, carrying on, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us. (sighs) A couple weeks into the misery, a couple weeks into these suicidal thoughts, I decided I would go to that man's house from the gym that said, praise the Lord, and all those kind of things. It had been seven years, gang. I didn't even know if he lived there. I ended up on his doorstep knocking. Lance opened the door with the biggest smile. He was one, he's one of the elders at our church, now he's in South Dakota. He opened the door, Seth, where have you been? I just looked at him so broken, building my testimony, I told him. I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that whatever I was doing was adding to the bad part of a story that I had, had, had been involved in. I decided I'd go to church. I walk into church and I see a guitar I see drums and I see, what do you call these things right here? What's this thing here? Video cameras, thank you. It's the acid, I'm sorry. But it's uh, video cameras, right? I'm like, I am out of here. This is like, gotta be some weird evangelistic freak show. So I go to walk out, and of course, Lance sees me, and I couldn't escape. I stayed at Calvary, and I heard Pastor Tony talking. Tony Marinelli, if you remember him. He's talking about something. I don't know what it was, because I was so drugged up still. I mean, I was drug-free, but I was a mess. But he talked about he talked about the Lord, and I, I, I was completely broken. I remember him praying for me, and as he prayed for me, I just felt this weeping, and there was tears, and there was just snot running down my face as I felt this release of some weight. I kept coming every week to church, every Sunday, every Wednesday, anything that was going on at church, I just showed up, until one day he, uh, he asked, does anyone want to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior? And I thought... I think I've already done that, but I think I need to do this. I went up there and I prayed with him and I'd love to sit here and say, like, was it Charles Finney? Like He had these liquid waves of molten love pouring over him, but I didn't have any such experience. But I will tell you this, three things happened that day that I never knew before. It was quiet, it was calm. There wasn't lightning flashing. But for the very first time in my life, I knew, I knew that I was loved. I mean, love, the kind of love that no, no mom could ever replace that had left me, or these women that always left me because I drove them away. It was a type of love that I'd never known before, number one. Number two, and you're going to get this, it doesn't sound like much to everybody else outside of here, but there was this new sense of peace because I had always been totally inundated with anxiety, with depression, with fears and insecurities. Oh, they still come around, but there was now a peace with God, a peace with my creator who made me. I was no longer at odds, no longer an enemy to him. And thirdly, you remember how I told you I had always felt alone? I somehow knew I would never, ever feel desperately alone again no matter what was taken from me or who was taken from me, I would never feel alone. That was 17 years ago, and I can tell you that since then, 17 years, every single day, no matter where I've been, I have never been alone. Jesus has always been with me, and it has been incredible. I would never walk away from the Lord to go back to anything else because I fear losing this Lord who loves me. Amen. Who else are we going to go to? Who else has the words of life? Nobody. Ephesians 2.5 says, Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Oh, I'm way behind on my, my, my teaching here. I apologize. I jumped way ahead here, right? Ephesians 2.7 goes on and says, so that in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches, the boundless riches of his grace, the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. At this point in life, I don't know what happened to you when you were saved. We're all different we all respond to the gospel and we all respond to being new creations in Christ differently. Wherever you have been at, it's great. It's okay. Continue pressing forward. For me, I, like I said, I was at every single thing that went, by, went on at Calvary. If you looked at my life, though, like I was 31 when I got saved, if you looked at my life, the whole timeline, you looked at 31 years old after I got saved, you would say that is the worst year of that guy's life. I had the police after me, I had DCF after me, I had family court after me, district court after me, I had legitimate charges filed against me, I had my name in the paper all the time for the things I had done, and now I had new accusations after me that weren't even true, being called a child abuser, because now I had a faith in Christ, I had a new persecution coming on, but can I tell you, it may have looked like the worst year of my entire life, but it was the best one to date because I had Jesus Christ in my life. I had a joy that could never be taken and it was amazing. Hmm. Well, I've got to speed things up here and, 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 and keep moving here, guys. But what the Lord did in, in my life as he's done in your life and all of us at different, different rates and phases, it doesn't even matter because the Lord can do whatever he wants with his jar of clay, can he? But what the Lord did in me, I can look back and say, he totally rewired me. He made me think differently about women. Thank you, Lord. He made me look at people very differently. He gave me that heart of compassion that I said that I lost, but he gave me a heart of compassion that I had never had before to see people as the prize and not the problem. He gave me beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness as he's done for many of you, and maybe if you've never received Jesus Christ, maybe that's something that you're thinking, I want that. I have lost so much in my life, I want that. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We're all saved the same way, gang, through the cross by the blood and the life offering of Jesus Christ. Our stories may be very different in detail, but the heartbeat of our stories of believers is exactly the same. We were all sinners bound for eternal separation saved by the grace of God, not by anything that we have done. It's not about your performance. You could never earn your way back to God, nor could I. So, what do you do with this story, gang? What do you do with your testimony, with the testimony of Jesus Christ? It says here, we're his workmanship. A heart given to Jesus belongs to him. We are his workmanship, created to do what? Created for good works. That's right. See, we don't do the good works to earn his favor. Because we're created by him for good works, because we are loved by him, we respond with a heart of gratitude to his grace. He says, I want to do good works, Lord. For me, I personally couldn't shut up about his grace. I couldn't shut my mouth up. I found this secret to life, the answer to the question everyone was asking, what is the meaning of life, and how do I get eternal life? I think of Jeremiah, I just could not shut my mouth. And it bothered some people. I was a little, listen, I wasn't, I'm, I, if you hope, you guys are all smart folks. You're from like Boston. I know that's some like, you, you guys like got some MIT grads. You guys have all these super smart schools, you know, going Boston on you, sorry. You got all these, smart, but, but I'm not smart. I'm not gifted. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not naturally able to speak, but I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. It wasn't like this. It wasn't like, let me tell you what I know and what you don't know. It wasn't that hard. It was a genuine heart that said, I was terminally ill. I was dying of a disease and, and that something amazing came along. Somebody cured me and loved me. I want to introduce you to the great physician of life. The love of Christ is no less powerful. It is, no, it is not dull not dull. Today, it is still as powerful as it was 17 years ago. Listen, guys, I can't talk my way out of an argument with my 12-year-old daughter since she was seven. Like I said, I'm not super educated. I didn't finish high school. I never went to seminary, yet I stand here preaching the same word of God that you have in your hearts. This is a testimony of God's grace It's really impossible, though, that God could use any of us, isn't it? It's impossible. How is it possible? Why would God use a fool like me, or like you for that matter, to bring his divine message of hope to the world? 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Mm-hmm. Who, who's foolish in here? Anyone? Oh, you, oh, some of you guys are going to pray for it. you. All need to raise your hand because you're all foolish. You are all foolish compared to the wisdom of Jesus Christ. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things. Anyone here weak and in need of Jesus Christ? That's right. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly of the world to, dis, to uh, the to the despised thing and the, of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Therefore, as it is written, let the, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. All right, we are landing the plane, but do you know how you boast in the Lord? You live out the gospel. You live out the gospel. You allow the gospel culture. That is, because the gospel has infused your heart, you will live a different way. Not because you're trying hard to be a good Christian and a legalist, but because you are grateful for the grace that God has given you, you respond. You are a new creation, so you respond as a new creation in Christ. This is boasting of of the Lord. When somebody offends you and upsets you, you respond by forgiving them and giving them grace. That's living out the gospel. That's boasting in the Lord. When you lend your time to help others in need, you're boasting in the Lord. When you don't retaliate on social media, that's boasting in the Lord. And you boast in Jesus when you lovingly tell people what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Hmm. This walking in the gospel, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, it's always being willing to put the gospel on display. Basically, you know the term. Put your money where your mouth is. Forgiveness, kindness, compassion. It's living like Christ, gang. That's how you can tell your story. You can talk all you want. Now You can't use that phrase. I know. Think of another one. You're not quick enough. (laughs) Put your money where your mouth is. I can't think of another way, way to put another phrase I was thinking of there. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached... And the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. See, so if you're not telling your story, if you're not living out the song of Jesus Christ and the gospel, there are those that are not going to hear because the end is coming. We're to live this out. The good news of Jesus is something we ought to be preaching: living the gospel out loud. This is a witness and a testimony. You have a story, gang. It's not your story, it's His story. Maybe if we stop thinking of it as our story, we wouldn't be so worried and timid about sharing it with people, because it's God's story, and God's story is powerful. Maybe your story is darker or lighter or just different, regardless, it's God's, and He wants to tell his story through you. The, the, the church that Freddie's in. you see all the empty seats? If I go through Boston and I tell 10 people a day about the gospel and invite them to Freddie's church, I don't, know, I don't even know what date he said that's in. 10 days, let's just call it 10 days, easy number for me. I could get 100 people in there. Somebody quicker at math, come on MIT folks, some of you guys here, but we got 100 people in here, let's say, if you each told 10 people for 10 days, 100 people, how many people? There's a lot of zeros there. You get 100,000 people in that room, right? Go tell his story in your testimony. I'm gonna finish in the worship team. If you would come up and there's a prayer team coming up,